0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 339 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Omnipod and Dexcom. Omnipod, of course, is the insulin pump, excuse me, the tubeless insulin pump that Arden has been wearing since she was four years old, and we love it. And Dexcom, the greatest continuous glucose monitor known to mankind. You can find out more at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. I'll tell you more about the sponsors in just a few minutes. But first, I want to tell you about Dakota, today's guest. Dakota is an adult with type one diabetes who is experiencing a number of complications, but he's starting to get things together. And he's here today to share what he wished that he would have known when he was a younger person with type one diabetes. It's a great episode. Full of hope and honesty, just like I like them. While I've got your attention, I hope you check out diabetesprotip.com. It's my website where I've collected all of the diabetes pro tip episodes from the Juice Box podcast right in one place. You can, of course, still listen to them in your podcast player. But for those of you who are trying to share them more easily or just want to find them quickly, diabetesprotip.com. I've also added juiceboxdocs.com. It's juiceboxdocs.com. On that page, you'll find a growing collection of amazing doctors, all submitted by listeners like you. If you think you have a great diabetes physician, practitioner of any kind, someone who's really helped you, who really gets it, gets what we talk about here in the podcast, doesn't hassle you, and you'd like to share that doctor with someone else, go to juiceboxdocs.com. Right there, you can send me an email. You'll be able to see all the information I'm looking for because you'll see what other people have given. And you can add your fantastic doctor to an ever-growing list of diabetes professionals who are forward-thinking, thoughtful, and conscious of what
1: technology can do. My name is Dakota. I'm 30 years old, and I have been diabetic for 25 years. Five years old. That's a long time ago. It was pretty much, I don't know a life without diabetes.
0: Yeah, um, were you, that's interesting. So so five years old, 25 years ago, I, I have to orient myself with time all the time, and that messes me up. But was it 90? 90... 94. 94? Okay. Do you have siblings at that
2: point?
1: I had an older brother who was 15. Um, he was a half. He's a half brother. Mm-hmm. That was the only other sibling, other than my parents. And you know, I figured back then the technology was not what it is today.
0: I would imagine. What's your first sort of recollection of living with diabetes? How old were you?
1: I would say the year later, uh, about six years old. I, for some reason, this memory stands out: going up the stairs and I couldn't make it past the landing. And by the time we waited the two and a half minutes for the glucometer to actually test the blood sugar, it popped up reading twenty three, and that was my first experience with a, a hypo.
0: That's crazy. So tell people a little more because that's something that I think a lot of people listening to that don't understand. So, do you remember the process? Can you walk through what it was like to check your blood sugar twenty five years ago?
1: So the meters aren't as compact as they are today. You know, if you have a uh, if you have an actual glucometer or if you have a, a CGM. They were about the size of your of your phone. They weighed about as much as a brick. And the test strip was the size of a ketone strip. Ah. And the amount of blood that it took was you pretty much had to poke every finger just to get oh. enough blood. <laughs> Bleed into a puddle to... Uh, it, to, to exactly. <laughs> and 60 seconds into it, you actually had to wipe the blood off the strip before inserting it into the machine. It, so, it was... Really dinosaur age. That's interesting.
0: So you, the the blood goes on the strip, but the strip's not in the machine at that point.
1: Correct. The blood has to saturate that little pad on the strip, just like a a ketone strip. Now you have to kind of wave it and wait.
0: So this is all happening, Huda while you're six and unable to propel yourself up the stairs. So something's clearly wrong and a parent goes and it's like, well, we'll get the meter. And then they drag this thing out and hack open a, a vein, fill up this test strip. They're putting on the thing. You said you felt faint probably because of the blood loss, not even because of the blood sugar being low. Um, I think for the blood box. Yeah. <laughs> that's really something else, man. That's a, it's a good look into, uh, you know what your life could be like, uh, for people who are, you know, will say something like, uh, Uh, My Dexcom lost its connection for five minutes and I'm very upset. Um, (laughs) It's a different world. What do you use now for technology?
1: So I was always on the side of, I didn't want to support the industry at all. Figure I give them enough money. I'm not going to support all this new technology. Old school has always worked. Turns out it doesn't work. And I am now on the Dexcom G6 as well as the Omnipod. And that was all pre listening to the show.
0: That's cool. So, Interesting, um, and I'd like to dig into that for just a second to, to kind of figure that out. So, at, at some point as an adult, you have like a real adverse feeling, like you know, I've already lose enough money to this disease. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not spending any more. I'm not giving anybody any more. It did it feel like an adversarial relationship at that point? Like there was you, and then these people that they that they told you the hospital, your doctor that was supposed to be helping you, but you didn't feel like you were being helped by them.
1: It totally felt that way. You know, it's, the insulin already costs enough. And then when they change the product that you're on or they want you to try a new medicine that's actually more expensive, you know, when you're able to get a good deal on syringes and then you look at the price of a pump, you're still buying the insulin to put into the pump. Mm-hmm. And they just seem like extra expenditures that aren't necessarily needed at that moment. And
0: Was this a... um. Was this a financial decision too? Like, were you were you hurting for the money, or and you needed to put it other places, or was this solely like, "I'm going to take a stand against this this feeling you're,
1: you're having"? At the time, it was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely thought, like, you know what? If I keep doing this, they're going to miss me, which obviously is not the case. <laughs>
0: I'm just like, listen, uh, I'm keeping my money. You'll come crawling. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, and then the financial aspect, you know, that was a big part of it. You know early 20s trying to figure out what life is and now you have to find a job that offers you good insurance so you can even get the products in the first place Mm -hmm. and then they tell you it's going to be a couple hundred dollars a month it's a big chunk of your your income
0: of course no I, i don't think we talk about it enough we always speak about it in kind of sort of simple terms like i have insurance i don't have insurance you just think of people as in two camps like the the people, Correct. people with no insurance. Oh, that's a shame for them. And the people do have insurance. Oh, that must not cost them anything. It's not true. You could have insurance and it still cost you a fair amount of money every month. And, exactly. You know, and it's worse if you don't have insurance uh, and you're exactly. trying, trying to pay
1: cash for things.
0: When did you lose your fight with the man? How old were you?
1: Um, it was actually 2017. I finally gave in and. I I didn't know which was which at the time. I hadn't done enough research, mm-hmm. and I actually ordered the Omnipod first, thinking it was the CGM. So I was on a pump before the CGM.
0: No, okay. by mistake, thinking you were going to be on a CGM first.
1: Exactly. That's
0: interesting. So when you didn't collapse the um, the medical device system in America, and you, so what what was it that made you feel like? I'm giving up this fight, like, because I mean, I'm I'm serious, I'm not joking with you. Like, it's, it's, it's obviously meant something to you. But at some point, you just were like, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to try to get these devices. What led you to, I mean, letting go of something that that you felt so strongly about for 20 some years?
1: It, actually, I decided to finally jump on board when I lost my eyesight due to the diabetes.
0: Okay, so you felt like, Well, let's, let's, I guess we should dig into that a little bit. So you are legally blind.
1: I am legally blind. Yes.
0: What does that mean as far as, is there, I mean, you had, you were sighted for such a long time. Like, can you put into perspective for someone what it feels like, like what, you know, what that situation is? Like, what can you do? What do you struggle with? What, what do you see in front of you? One way you can tell that a company stands behind what it does is when it offers you a free trial with zero obligation to continue. You understand what I mean? They're willing to put the product in your hand before they've got your John Hancock anywhere. You've made zero promises. They've got all the risk. They're showing you right up front, this is who we are. Like us or don't. It's like being on a first date and just... Own people, all the creepy stuff you like, and you think, I'm going to find the one guy who thinks this is right. That's what Omnipod is. They're a very honest first date. Now, what am I talking about? If you go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, Omnipod will send you a free, no obligation demo pod right to your home. This allows you to try the pod on to see what it would be like to be an Omnipod person, right? A potter. That's with 2Ds, Potter. After your demo pod arrives, your free no-obligation demo pod, you can live with it like it's your new friend. Take it in the bath with you. Go out for a run. Lay in the sun. Have some fun. I can't think of anything else that simply rhymes with that word that you could do with an pump on. Oh, you could probably make a pun. You know, you'd be talking to somebody and say something punny to them while you're wearing your new Omnipod demo. And you'll think to yourself, you know, earlier today when I made that pun, I didn't even notice I was wearing an Omnipod. This is the insulin pump for me. A pump that's giving me my basal insulin, allows me to bolus, do extended boluses, temp basal increases and decreases, all that great stuff. And I don't know I'm wearing it even when I'm punning. Myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Get that free no obligation demo today and use that link so that Omnipod knows you came from the Juicebox podcast. Are you impressed that I did all that and then didn't make a pun? I just couldn't think of one. All right. Dexcom. The Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor is, in fact, the greatest thing in the world if you're using insulin. Um, If you're a giraffe, the greatest thing in the world is tall trees with food on it. But if you're using insulin, the Dexcom G6, the bee's knees. Now, where did the saying bee's knees come from? I don't know. But what I do know is that the Dexcom G6 shows you the speed and direction that your blood sugar is moving. And if you're the loved one of a person with type 1 diabetes, it allows you to see their speed and direction remotely. Remotely means anywhere. Apple or Android, through the internet, the web. Understand what I'm saying? Even through cellular. Cellular? Like, I don't need Wi-Fi exactly for this? That's right, Scott. Your kid could be in Istanbul, have a blood sugar that starts falling. You could be in Madison, Wisconsin, and see it happen. Hmm? How about that? Then you text them. You're like, hey, I don't know why you're in Turkey, but your blood sugar's getting low. Why don't you have a juice? Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Do it today. It can't possibly be understated that I think it is an amazing idea. So, we're talking about myonthepod.com/ forward slash juicebox, Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Get yourself the greatest insulin pump, get yourself the most magnificent CGM. Let them know that you came from the Juicebox podcast. What do you struggle with? What what do you see in front of you?
1: Everything is essentially looking through a fog. Um, there's I have no depth perception. Uh, my right eye has no vision. My left eye, the vision is 2199 mm-hmm. which now is technically one point out of being legally blind. But it's still essentially trying to look like a stack of Ziploc bags with
0: everything you do. And, my gosh, so that's... a. Uh... Kind of horrifying, honestly. Um, and, and you got to this—is this a—is this, this a side effect of your type one?
1: It absolutely is. It was a—I suffered a diabetic hemorrhage in my right eye, June of 2017, which essentially filled my eye with blood. Mm-hmm. And two months later, in August of 2017, the left eye followed suit and did the same exact thing.
0: Prior to this hemorrhage, were you aware that your eyesight was in the Amidst the failing or did you not know right up until it happened?
1: I I had a prescription for glasses because I knew it was starting to diminish a little bit. And I could tell there was something else, a little bit more serious happening. So I scheduled the appointment. Mm -hmm. That was on a Wednesday. The doctor called me before the appointment, said we need to push it till Monday. And the bleed happened on Sunday.
0: Okay. When you and I were setting the call up, um, I asked you to shut your camera off to save bandwidth. And Mm -hmm. you... I, I, from what I could, I felt like I was seeing from this end, were you using your phone as a magnifier to see the screen on your computer? What was that you were doing?
1: I use my phone for everything. You know, even trying to type the reply to you before we started the call, mm-hmm. it's have to get a picture of the keyboard since I've actually never used this laptop before just to type the messages back to you. I
0: see. All right. Um, how much has that, well, how does that, I guess, slow your day down? What is it, I mean, how has it changed your life, I guess, should be my question. What were you doing prior? Are there things you were doing prior that you can't do anymore? Or are you living the same life? How are you handling what's going on?
1: Well, my past, I grew up racing um, motorcycles, anything in the desert, anything with an engine. That was my passion. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest thing I've given up, because I can no longer drive. Even uh, you know, trying to pick up my daughter from daycare or going to help out my fiance, I can't drive anymore. So it definitely takes a toll on you in the long run. You start to get this feeling like maybe you're not putting enough into the relationship because, you know, the other partner is doing all the driving. And you almost try to overcompensate different aspects of a relationship. And that all comes from not being able to assist with tasks outside the home. Yeah.
0: Now, I can see that. I It's, uh, you know, obviously not an apples-to-apples comparison, but I've been a stay-at-home dad for like 20 years. And in the beginning, you know, you do feel like I'm doing all these things, but it's not the money. And because it's not the money, it doesn't feel as important a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and you do. I found myself overdoing other things, trying to be like, look, I'm valuable. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm trying my hardest. I'm in this 50 50. And it's a weird feeling. It went away from me. I hope it, uh, I hope it doesn't stick with you because obviously your situation is. It's not like you're just, you know, you've made a decision not to be helpful, uh, exactly. you know. You know. Um, wow. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, about the motocross racing. So I have very little knowledge of this other than I have this incredibly clear memory of when I was a kid and my parents took me, uh, they had a friend who rode, they called it enduro bike racing, I guess. And it was, it felt like it was in the woods in my memory and you mm-hmm. just kind of went and stood on this, you know, some part on this course in the woods and every few minutes, these amazing like motorcycles would just come flying by and jumping over hills and mud flying everywhere. And I think back on it now and I'm like, that could not have been safe for me to be standing there watching that uh, because you're so close to the course, you know?
1: Absolutely not. Especially in endurocross. they're jumping over rocks. You know, there are essentially mud pits that they have to try to plow through. There's logs and the, the path that they're trying to jump over. It could take one slip and you have a bite coming at your forehead.
0: Oh, Dakota, I'm telling you, I look back on my life now. I see a couple of times where I feel like the state could have come in and taken me, you know, because uh, decisions my parents were making. Um, that was one of them. There was another one where we went to West Virginia and there was this like, we were on like the top of like an overlook. And my parents put me right on the edge of it to take a photo, and I look at that photo and I think, like, what is wrong with you? Like, would the photo (laughs) not have looked just as good if I was say ten feet from the edge of it? Like, did I really have to be at the precipice of death uh, to get this photograph? I'll have to, oh boy, I'll have to see if I can find it and put it up on the website to coincide with this.
1: But it's all the experience.
0: It's I guess when you're younger, you're just like, oh, stand there, we'll take a picture. I don't know. I'm making excuses for them. It was dumb, Um, but when you're young, you're fearless but when what i remember about being at that is it was exhilarating and that the yeah. the, the smell of sort of the um two stroke like exhaust was in the yep. air you know what i mean i can still hear the bikes
1: the, the smell of the race fuel the two stroke you had to mix with oil so you're burning oil as well as race fuel and it's a uh, it's a very very nostalgic smell yeah
0: i can i'm telling you i did it one time and i feel like i'm standing there t- telling you about it so i can't imagine how for a person who was enjoying actually participating in it, it I mean, it's got to be an incredible loss for you, I mean, among other things. But, but still,
1: yeah, I, I actually stopped when I was six. With the, my parents recognized the the signs of the diabetes. They took me in, and sure enough, I was diagnosed. And about an hour later, they diagnosed me with a heart condition. Also, my racing career stopped all in the same day.
0: Oh no, kidding! Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: So it, it's one of those where I've always been involved with the industry. My dad um, was really big in the racing scene in Southern California as well. So it's always been a part of my family, all my friends race. So it's we never quite lost that touch. It's just by the time I jumped back into it, it was, again, financial is so expensive that let's either be a bystander or do it just for fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. So do you do you still try to go to races to, as a spectator?
1: I still now – go to, I, now I go to Supercross. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely lost its edge from what I'm used to it. I, I started going when I was very little. So it was a very family oriented event. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'll go to different sorts of off-road races. Um, I'm out here in, uh, in Arizona now, so I'll catch the NASCAR races that come through. And now I try to go on behalf of you know my organization to raise awareness.
0: Yeah. So you do that. You, you, do you, like set up a table or do you just, how do you, how do you raise awareness at an event like that?
1: Still working on the process of actually getting into these events just because it is very um, corporate structured. Mm-hmm. You know typically they want their vendors to pay to be there to sell a product. As a nonprofit, they try to get it to where either discounted or um, if there's an opening. Yeah. Uh, currently the only events that I'm have scheduled are with the, the local chapter of the JDRF for their walks and things like that. It's
0: nice. What do you do when you interact with people? What do you talk about with them?
1: More Anything they want. Um, if they have any questions about diabetes, any of the complications, signs, um, honestly, sharing my story has helped more people than I can count. Yeah. You know, I, I used to think, okay, well, my blood is in the low 200s, that's fine. And fast forward 20 years, it, it wasn't fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's neuropathy going on. There's the obviously the vision. Um, there's a lot of other things that diabetes can affect, minus just limb loss, vision loss, a lot of the internal stuff as well. Yeah. So just sharing what the doctors have told me, the time in time out of the hospital. Um, I've even crashed cars because I've had a hypo while driving. So again, there's a lot that can come with it that most people might not realize.
0: No, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think that um, a lot of our, the, a lot of how we, we sort of build our world around diabetes comes from the things we hear initially. And if what you heard initially was, hey, listen, just try to keep his blood sugar between 90 and 200, and you right. know, didn't realize that that was supposed to be, you know, for this month and the next month, then you'll come back and we'll shoot for better and better, except it doesn't work that way for a lot of people. A lot of people start thinking, well, that's my range. You know what I mean? I well, try to stay there.
1: Exactly. And I know um, from listening to your past episodes, even as Arden's growing up, you know, it's not just even within that range, it's everything's adjusting almost on a weekly basis. And, you know, when there's only like one endocrinologist near you where you can go and sorry, backtracking during all this, my parents were also going through a divorce. So now it's separated parents while you're trying to figure out what this disease is. Mm -hmm. And if they're not on the same page, you're not on the same page. So it's, you're trying to figure out everything all at once. And it, especially for a young child, it's very overwhelming.
0: Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I, I can't even imagine being your situation. I I don't want to lose track of this. So let me ask you, you said you were diagnosed too with a heart condition. What was that?
1: Um, I had a bicuspid heart valve. So my aortic valve is fused with a second valve. So instead of having three leaflets, my heart only had two leaflets.
0: How has that impacted you in your life?
1: I got very out of breath as a, as a youngster. Mm -hmm. Um, It was over, overworking itself. Uh, and then in the year 2000, I underwent open heart surgery and had the aortic valve replaced. Wow,
0: jeez, I, 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 my gosh, that's uh 17 year. And have you? I, what's the? I, what's my question here? What's the? Um, is there maintenance to that surgery? Like, do you go see someone like yearly, or how? How does that? How do you keep track of that surgery?
1: I go see my cardiologist every two years. He does an EKG. Is perfect. See him in two years. That's about as quick as the appointment goes.
0: No kidding. Oh, that's excellent to hear. Okay. So Dakota, since you're trying to raise awareness and you're being so honest, um, I want to give context to, you know, a little more context to where you got to with your vision, if if that's okay, okay. with you. So um, let's just start with the, the easiest measurable for people to kind of understand. Do you know um, what your A1C was? through the years were you keeping track of it or did you were you going to an endocrinologist kind of talk to me about how you how you managed that side of diabetes
1: most of my life my a1c was above 12 okay uh i don't know if you recall with the the glucometers how they used to come with a vial of um, testing solution sure. to calibrate your machine when i would be on my way to the appointment i knew i hadn't tested And I would sit there in the back with piles of the solution because the longer it sat, the higher the reading. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I would sit there and I would fake the numbers the entire way down to the doctor's office. Meanwhile, having to go through, push the two buttons, try to change the date and the time to make it look like I've been testing on a regular basis. I would get down there. They would see the readings. They would check the A1C. They say something's not adding up here. That's when I decided I needed to start throwing in some highs. So I fudged the numbers forever. Mainly because I knew the endocrinologist was going to yell at me when I went down there. There was no compassion. It was always scolding.
0: Yeah. Was your mom, uh, were you living with your mom in this
1: moment? I was actually living with my dad. Yeah. My mom had moved out of state. Okay,
0: so you're with your father. Is he aware you're doing this? And No. No. You're just kind of in the backseat of the car, just yep. chugging along, for- making up numbers.
1: Yeah, for all he knows, I'm back there playing a Game Boy. Wow. That's really something. And how old were you? When you
0: started doing that, that you do you recall?
1: I want to say I was around um, eleven or twelve, so just going into middle school. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow! And you, how how many years did you do something like that for?
1: I would say on and off for a couple years, and it eventually just got to a point where I had that mentality of I know how my body feels; I don't need to test. So leading up to the vision loss. I would say I had gone almost three years without testing my glucose.
0: And you know, now, obviously, I'm not telling you, I'm sort of telling everybody that your body tries to adapt to the higher blood sugars so that eventually, yeah, they, it starts feeling normal to you, whether, uh, and, and I always, you know, Arden will kind of pull that out every once in a while. Like, you know, she's so accustomed to not testing very often that, um, that, you know, when you have to test a couple of times a day. And actually it's funny, last night was one of those nights and it, it, you mentioned staying fluid earlier. Um, Arden's out of, she's in a period right now of the month where she needs less insulin and I didn't see it. I didn't notice it happen right away. So there were these kind of like an evening of lows that I thought like, this is just the thing. And then the next night came up and it started happening again. I thought, Oh geez, I have to dial her all of her insulin back. So I, you know, basal insulin back, everything kind of dialed back for this spot, but we ended up testing a number of times. And now she uses the contour next one meter, which needs, you know, it's a great meter. It needs like no blood. And still we tested, I don't know, three or four times yesterday. And by the fourth time I sent her a text, I was like, hey, just check your blood sugar real quick. I want to make sure this is the number because we're about to make a decision, you know? And she was like, oh, I feel fine. And I I reminded her, I was like, I know you feel fine, um, but that, that's not an – I said to Farden, if, if I feel fine was the right way to manage your blood sugar, then this meter company and Dexcom, all these companies would exist because you just ask people, how do you feel?
1: Okay, how do you feel? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel great. But I, when I would say I was feeling fine because I finally realized something was wrong,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was 350 and I said I feel fine.
0: Yeah. And you probably – did you actually feel fine?
1: I, I felt perfectly normal. Yeah. And I was at work at the time. I was actually up on a scissor lift. And I looked at my manager. I'm like, I have to come down now or I'm going to faint. And I went in, tested my, actually, I tested my blood sugar in the break room. So I lied. It wasn't three years. It was probably about a year and a half prior. Hmm. And it came back at 180. And I am sitting there sweating and shaking because I feel so low.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: we talk- it, it, the only sense of having a, like a, a stable point or like a, a point of basis like is to get back up to that point.
0: So would you consider, and I, you know, I, I'm, I have no real world experience with it, but it was, it sort of like the idea of like when you hear a drug addict say they need a fix, so they feel better. Like, were you trying to get your blood sugar higher to feel better?
1: Not necessarily higher than it was, just back up to that. I would say 300 mark where I didn't feel essentially like,
2: like you were low. I was
1: going like, like, yeah, like I was going numb or going low. Yeah. You know, when your tongue starts to tingle and your fingers start to tingle and your hands are shaking, you're sweating because you feel so low, and you're actually on the higher side of the the scale. Yeah, that's, it's a pretty big wake up call. It's
0: fascinating. I mean, honestly, a 180 your your blood is doubled of what yeah. you know somebody who doesn't have type one is, and that's so. So Dakota, it's probably a good time to stop for a second because people who listen to the podcast have heard me say. You know, if you're accustomed to your blood sugar being higher as you're bringing it down, you know, you could end up feeling low when you're not really low. It doesn't make the, it doesn't make the, um, the feelings not real, you know, Correct. you still feel that way. And you got kind of, sometimes people talk to me about having to sort of titrate down slowly, you know, when, once they've kind of figured out the whole thing here with the podcast and they're like, all right, I can bring my blood sugar down. Some people bring it down pretty quickly. Um, and it stays stable. And, you know, I've heard back from people who are like, oh, I felt low for a couple of days. One woman told me once she felt a little shaky for a week at like 120, um, but we never speak about it in the number range that you just spoke about it in. Like feeling low at 180 um, is, a, is a sincere indication of just how long your blood sugar had been in the 300s. Or Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, well for most, my, most of my life, I was in, as um, what I've seen around all the forums and everything, um, is I was in T1D burnout for most of my life where I knew I had the disease. A, I didn't know how to take care of it. B, nobody around me understood it. This is back before we had social media and these large networks to be part of. And, you know, it was, I would, in high school, I would be at school and drink a cherry Coke every day. Um, I would take a huge dose of 20 to 25 units of insulin and go about my day. At night, I would take my my long-lasting, and that was it for the day.
0: So you you would do a basal insulin at night and one big bolus at your at your lunchtime meal and just do nothing else. Right. Wow. What was the intention there? Like what did you feel like you were accomplishing when you did that?
1: I just knew I had to take insulin. I didn't quite understand why. Okay. So I just knew I had to do this. Hey, cuz what my parents and doctors had told me. Mhm. So to me, okay, well, I did it twice today. I'm good. Okay. And I put a lot in, it will last.
0: And that is how that in that simplistic way is how you thought about it. Like I'll use a lot and this will be it'll just stay in me and you felt like you were filling up a gas tank almost.
1: Oh exactly. I'll I'll fill up the tank and when it when it hits E again I'll I'll fill up again. Wow.
0: Um well I and in the situation where I want to offer some sort of uh my like I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, it feels so sad to hear someone say Ah. that they had such little uh, direction and, and understanding for such a long period of time. Um, And, and yet, you know, you don't need my, you know, you don't need my words. They don't help you. Um, And they, and I guess what you really want to do then is you want somebody else to hear this who doesn't get to the part where you are.
1: Exactly. And that's, that's the whole point why i jumped through all the hoops and started you know, my organization is I don't want anybody else to have to reach the point that I'm at. Whether you're a fan of motorsports or not or racing or not, reach out to somebody and don't just sit there on your own. I had a, a young lady reach out to me from Florida, kind of the same thing, where she had to reach burnout. Her parents could not afford, afford helping her anymore. And just kind of talking her through it, she was able to go out, she kept getting a job that had insurance. That way she could get the medications that she needed. And it's more just having that ear to listen to what you need to say.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you, do you find, do you find when you're looking online and there are people who are, are kind of holding themselves up as, you know, like, look at me, I'm doing it as an example, like trying to be a a part of a community. Do you ever feel like coming from, I I don't know how to ask you this exactly, but, but you, let me start with this. Would you consider yourself coming from a, like a financially depressed background, like you, was money an issue most of the time?
1: For myself, yes. For my family, not so much. It was more just the complete being unaware of what was going on.
0: Okay. Okay. So
1: to to, to them, my numbers were fine. They knew the A1C was off, but the the numbers on the reading and the printout were fine. So until I was honest with them, they weren't going to know the whole truth of where, you know, necessarily to help. And then once you're, you know, 16, 17 years old, you're now a young adult, you're wanting to be out, do your own things. As long as you're getting good grades, they really don't question what you're doing. I see.
0: I see. And so interestingly enough, I guess they, so they decided to trust you and what, what you were showing them with your meter over the test that was coming from the doctor. Correct. And, and was it not so much of a trust issue as that they just were like, oh, that doesn't make sense. His meter says this, so that must be wrong. Or like, I, I'm trying to figure out how you disregard the test at the doctor's office.
1: Well, every time they would get, give me a new glucometer, because maybe there's something wrong with the meter. And then the next time it's like, okay, I need to put some more highs in this meter. And then suddenly they start to kind of balance themselves out like, okay, I can see how the numbers – you know, show this a one C, but you also have to figure those numbers are only when you test it. You could be high through or in between each one of those testings Mm -hmm. and then come back down to a certain number right before. doesn't mean that you've been perfect all day. You could have been at a high elevated number most of the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The variability is, uh, is hard for them to figure out, I guess, when they're just looking at meter
1: readings. Exactly. And that's why now being on the Dexcom, i Panic in that two-hour warm-up window now. <laughs> Isn't
0: that funny? Is that funny, really, Dakota? You went from like 350, no problem, to I don't like not knowing what my blood sugar is.
1: <laughs> no, like, and and now now point. it'll. I have my high set at 150, and now it'll beep at me for the 150, mm-hmm. and I'll go and kind of tell it I know. Insulin's in the system. Let's give it a minute to kick in. Five minutes later, it beeps at me again. I don't think I've ever told a piece of electronics shut up so many times. <laughs> as when you are in a high higher than your limit on your CGM. Yeah. And you're
0: like, "I know, I know. I'm doing it. I'm working on it." Stop. I um I know we talked about. I've talked with Dexcom about whether or not they could add a snooze to that. To like, you know, could I get um alerted that my blood sugar is over 150 and me say, "Okay, I hear you. Please don't tell me this again for like a half an hour." Like like I I've given myself insulin. I know how long it's going to take for me to get back under my number. So you know, I exactly. I but
1: I let I the bolus take effect.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. I, well, we've mentioned it, so maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll do that sometime. It's a great idea, honestly. Um, you know, let me wrap my head around all this for a second because I am in a weird position where I'm listening to you and I'm trying to feel like what are the people hearing you thinking right now? Because, you know, if you're newer diagnosed, you know, in the last five or six or eight years even, the story you're telling – is, it sounds insane. You, you know what I mean? But I know that your story is not nearly as insane as, as some people might believe it is, that your story is actually much more common. Just people like you don't really step up that often and tell this story. So um, I really appreciate you doing this, first of all, because there are, you know, I try to make the point all the time, you know, well over a million, and I figure what the number is, you know, a million eight or something, people living with type one diabetes, and you know, just because the couple hundred people you see on Instagram or the few hundred people you talk to on Facebook are all really trying hard and doing a great job. And, you know, you know, somebody like me who says, Oh, I can't believe how badly today went. Like Arden's blood sugar went to 170 and I couldn't get it down for like three hours. You know, like that's not most people's experience with type one diabetes, right. uh, you know, a much, a much larger group of people have uh, an experience that is much closer to yours than mine.
1: Well, and it's funny. That's actually why I eventually reached out to you is, observing on social media the the diabetics that are out there yes they're, they are all have their blogs and they're doing a great job sharing their journey and even the people that you interview it's kind of you know painting this perfect picture of you know diabetes isn't bad as long as you take care of it and i i my hope is that if what the real dangers and damages are from it it will make them want to paint that picture in their own lives yeah
0: yeah no i uh I was just contacted by someone the other day who asked me, like, you know, is there an episode you would show to a, a young kid in like an early teen situation, uh, somebody who's just not at all interested in in their type one care? And I thought, I don't know, like, you don't want to, like, to me, scaring people doesn't seem like the right idea, you know. And I also don't know that, you know, a cheerleader helps for a person who's in that situation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you're feeling down and. Depressed about something, or just like it's, you know, not possible to do. You, you know, you're explaining a situation where you didn't know what to do, and nobody around you really knew, and doctors would kind of yell at you. So, you know, would uh, somebody coming up to you when you were 15 going, "Hey, Dakota, you can do it. It's easy, buddy. Here's how." Like, would you have just been like, "Get away from me," You, you, you know, or would you have been excited to hear from them? What do you think? would have benefited you in that situation because I did not know how to answer that question right away about how do you help somebody that age? Who's going through
1: that? I, I honestly, I would have put the hood up on my sweater, walked away. Mm -hmm. Like, don't talk to me. Teenager. I, I know everything, but I don't know anything. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing. I took my injection. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what I'm afraid of. Actually. Um, that's what I thought when I talked to him. I, I eventually led them to an episode with a 15 year old boy who listened to the podcast and learned the podcast and takes care of himself really well. And I my only thought was like, maybe show them that, that this is that there are other tools than maybe the ones people told them about and that uh. they're not all that difficult to to use. And maybe that would help. But there is just part of me who believes that, you know, people are different, you know, and you had a different you know, a a different reaction to that information than another person would have. And, and that, you know, if you stop, if you, if you kind of stop and take a long look at everybody around you, just, you know, pick 20 people that, you know, and see how different they all are and the directions their lives went and how some of them take things super seriously and some of them don't, or if some people are very detail oriented and some people are sort of like, it'll all work out. Like all that is just human nature, you know, different kinds of the way people think. But then you add this diabetes to it. Some of those personalities don't fit well with managing insulin. Correct. Right? And and so that's what you're really talking about. It's like, how do you get to that personality? And, you know, before they get into your situation, because, you know, I, I mean, you can tell me, but I'd imagine you'd do almost anything to get into a time machine and make a different decision.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, knowing what I know today, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't even hesitate, um, uh, as long as you know, my family still comes into the picture in the future, yeah. uh, I would absolutely go back and kind of like you were saying with, you know, how do you reach these different people? I couldn't imagine somebody with severe anxiety being diagnosed with diabetes because it's such a double-edged sword
2: yeah.
1: how stress will cause your glucose to rise. And if your glucose rises, what do you do? You stress and if you give yourself insulin to come down and it's not coming down you stress more it it's it's such a unique double edged sword in that sense that how do you manage this without making it worse yeah
0: yeah how do you you know there's people in my life who are more you know prone to anxiety than not and i'm sort of really relaxed and you know, you find sometimes saying to people like just you know don't worry about it or relax. And it's such an insulting thing for them to hear because they're not worrying about it on purpose. They're not, they don't want to be anxious about it. You know, it's just, it's how they react to that scenario.
1: I I do the same exact thing. I'm extremely calm, very calm demeanor, especially with everything going on. And I see it as there's no point in freaking out about it. But when I see other people close to me that do have anxiety, I'm like, what what is your issue? Like, so take a step back, look what I'm going through. If I'm calm, you should be calm. Yeah. And I know it's a really unfair way of trying to calm somebody down and rather than being understanding, which is I know what I should be doing. Yeah. It, well,
0: that's a good point, though, is that even a person like you who understands the scenario, when they're presented with that, that's how you feel. You're like, oh, just relax. So now put yourself in the shoes of a parent of you when you're 15, knowing that anything they may say to you is going to pull your hoodie over your head and send you out the door and that, oh, exactly. you know what i mean now these people are trying to put together the exact perfect seven words to get you to take your health more seriously um and even maybe you were taking it seriously but you just didn't have the the right tools or the knowledge to to deal with it because i mean you do you feel like you have those tools today absolutely what's your a1c right now
1: my last check was 6.2 my last draw was on Friday, and because of the holiday weekend, I have not gotten the results from that one. That's amazing, Dakota. Congratulations. This is really something. And the last time I had it checked prior to that, it was still at 11. Wow. When
0: did you make this decision? Like, when did you... How did... So let's, I guess... Let's, let's go to that. Like you said, 2017, you decided you're going to grab a CGM and you ended up with a pump by mistake and then you added a CGM, right?
1: In, in 2017, when everything first started, so through this vision loss, it was 10 times worse than it is today. Um, at that point, the only difference in vision I could tell was that the sky was blue, the grass was green, and the ground was brown. Oh my gosh. And so everything was just shade oriented. I had to, I left my house went and stayed with um, with my dad at his new place that I'd only been to once, so I didn't know the house. Mm-hmm. And I had to feel the walls on how to get around the house. And in order to see what my reading was, it was essentially just poking, hoping there was enough blood and trying to get it to work. So I wasted hundreds of strips because they weren't filled all enough, all the way. I right. put the glucometer right up to my eye to, and move it slowly to the side make out the shapes of the numbers that are on the screen. Hmm. And it was finally, once I went back to work at the beginning of 2018, my re- my insurance was reinstated that I immediately went on the Omnipod and about a month later went on the Dexcom.
0: What kind of work do you
1: do now? I work at Costco.
0: Okay. and And so when you were... Huh. So when, when your blood sugar is still incredibly high, your vision was actually worse than it is now. So your vision's getting better as your blood sugar is more regulated and lower?
1: I have also had seven surgeries. So a lot of these surgeries were actually reattaching the retina, trying to um, repair the macula. And a lot of these procedures, they do take time to reestablish the vision mm-hmm. due to the disconnect for so long inside the eye
0: do you expect more progress or do you think you're at where you're going to be or do you not know?
1: My ophthalmologist says that adults could take two years to even show. And my last surgery was in March.
0: Can I ask you, are this, I mean, the surgeries sound painful, but are they?
1: Um, once they start to back the anesthesia off, it can be a little bit, a little bit painful. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for the most part, it's just a quick outpatient procedure. It's more, you're under a local anesthesia so you can see the tools moving inside your eye. And that's the part that can kind of make you freak out.
0: No kidding. That's uh that sounds worse than being able to hear the dentist drill.
1: Um, oh, it, 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 exactly. Well, you hear him and he puts this piece inside your eye and then you start to see these bright flashes and they're moving around and you think to yourself, is he welding inside my eye? And then he calls for, so you know, I need, you know, two cc's of, you know, a certain weight. Like, wait, he's talking about oil. And then you see these little drops come into your eye and form into one big blob. And then suddenly you see right through it. it it's just, it's a whole weird experience. It's really hard to explain. I, uh, I, I,
0: I can't, I cannot imagine. I mean, I can imagine what you're saying, but I just, I can't imagine like sitting still during it. Do, is, do you have that? Do you have to stop yourself from that feeling of like, I need to get up and get away from this or?
1: It. When you're under the anesthesia, no. You can't. But like I said, when they start to back it off, um, the second surgery I had, it was starting to get really painful during surgery, Mm -hmm. and I could start to feel everything. I was aware of everything, but I noticed my feet can move, and the anesthesiologist was sitting towards the end of the bed towards my feet, and I just started clicking my feet together as fast as I could, and sure enough, he cranked it back up
0: kind of let them know.
1: Hey, like, hey, I'm awake. Yeah.
0: Let's fix this. There's something stuck in my eye and I'm about to run away just so you know. Exactly. <laughs> my gosh. Wow. I, uh, it's hard to know what to say because it, it seems not just so life-changing, but, um, it, it just, it just seems, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to just say sad, but it feels sad. You, you know what I mean? Like if I uh, do, how do you deal with that part of it? I mean, are you, How do you, how do you keep your chin up? I guess for the lack of a better term.
1: Um, I mean, first thing first, I look at my daughter. She's a year old. So backtracking to when all this happened, Mm. December of 2017, we found out that we were having a baby. So through all of this, I'm also a new dad trying to take care of a newborn with vision loss. So if you can imagine taking care of Arden when she's a month old and do it with your eyes closed.
0: Dakota, I have to be honest. I can't imagine anything you're saying. To be perfectly honest, you, you know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm sitting here trying to put my myself in your shoes, just in, in my head, and I don't, you know, I, I, It makes you feel like you know I should, you know, get done with you and shut my eyes and just try to even go do the next thing that I wanted to do. I don't, I don't know how I would accomplish that. Um, are, are there classes? Do, does Does your doctor offer like direction for you? Like, are you going to get better direction with your vision loss than you did with your diabetes?
1: Um, I actually meet with a low vision specialist from the time this airs, Mm -hmm. be about four months, but, um, next week I meet with a low vision specialist and they work with, um, different sorts of prisms implanted into lenses. So the center part of my vision is what's damaged. The outside is still working. So these prisms will redirect the light to the outside of the eye and make it to where the vision should increase. For okay. what the doctors say they've seen in the past.
0: Well, I hope that works for you. That sounds amazing.
1: But it's going to be a lot of almost rehabilitation, teaching the outside of your eye to do all the seeing rather than the center part of your eye.
0: I understand. That's uh, And that crystal helps, that prism helps kind of retrain parts of your eye that aren't being used as actively, I guess.
1: That's what they say. Um, I'm hoping that it's not so damaged in there that that's not an option.
0: Mm -hmm. What, um, what took you from, you know, so you, you your vision goes the way it went. Um, and you're at this a one C that's incredibly elevated. Now you're at a six. Can you tell us what you did between that elevated a one C and the six? Like, how did you make that change so quickly?
1: Um, first I knew that, what you put into your body is probably the most important thing, whether it's insulin, food, hydration, anything. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So post-surgery, I knew that inflammation was a really big deal. And I went completely vegan for three months. I can't say I was happy about it. Then I slowly just started to look at what I was eating and, you know, try not to oversaturate myself with processed foods, anything that's, you know, high in carbs or sugars. Yeah. And I've just kept a really keen eye on what I was eating. And then once I got on the pump, it was a lot easier to, to, you know, dial it up or down when I needed it. And I was still doing carb counting at the time. And I noticed that I was still getting these big spikes in these low valleys. Yeah, And, and I was actually right around the time that I found your your podcast. And just hearing how you kind of mentioned to, you know, you do your pre-bowl and then you kind of work it after the meal until it's right where you want to be. So since I started listening to your podcast, I have not carb counted. Is awesome. I, I will pre-bolus and then just go from there.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. I, uh, I, I hate counting carbs. I had to figure out a way not to do it, Dakota. That, that's, how, that's why you know about it because I was just in my kitchen thinking like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I have to figure out a way not to do this.
1: Well, did you ever have the long book? That you had to flip page to page that a page of fruits, a page of vegetables, a page of starches, and actually gave you the portion size and how many grams of carbs were in each one of those portions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They came out every year from the nutritionist. Mm -hmm.
0: Also, a scale. I realized that um, I really did not like the idea of having to weigh and measure food. Yeah. And so I just. I don't know. I just, you know, it's a long time ago now, but I just started thinking like, I got to figure out a way to do this. That that doesn't, doesn't cause me to, you know, need to scoop things with cup measuring cups all the time.
1: Or, you know, you think, you think to yourself, like there's already enough math involved. I don't want to be, you know, weighing out grams and ounces and, you know, all this different kind of stuff. Like, just, just let me figure out how much, how much insulin I need. And that's all the math I want to do right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even like just that, even the math aside, I think is just the, taking something that's so frequent in your life breakfast lunch dinner a snack and turning it into a drudgery of any kind um is you know i think is one of the ways that the that diabetes ends up weighing on you you know what i mean like one of the one of the weights it has is you know it's scared of being low right scared of long term complications uh, I, I don't want to be the kid who passes out at school. Um, you, you know what I mean. And I don't want to count and measure everything I put in my body for the rest of my life. I, I'm very yeah. proud to be able to give Arden, you know, uh, a couple of handfuls of a snack and not say, "Hey, can you, you know, count twenty three of those, please?" You, you, you know what I mean? Like that's uh, to me, that's a big deal, um, and and it's important to make your life feel like it's not a weight on you. You,
1: you know what I mean? Oh. Exactly. Can you imagine if she's out at the lunch table and she pulls out her baggie with 20 goldfish in it? That's all she's allowed. And and listen, I I, I can't give any of these away. I have to eat all 20 of these goldfish. Don't
0: touch my damn goldfish. Um, (laughs) And and listen, there are times, like don't get me wrong, like if we're coming down from a high blood sugar or something and she gets high, I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, but we can't miss on these carbs. So, you know, take 15 of those. And I'll tell you, you can see a, like there's a sadness on her face when that happens, like oh now i, I you know I have to okay, you know count them out, and you know what if I'm still hungry or not hungry when I get to you know what if I get to eleven of these and I don't want any anymore I gotta eat the last four or you know vice versa, so I just I do my best for that not to there's enough already coming from diabetes that you know you, you should try to take things away wherever you can, and ca- carb counting was just one of the things I really wanted to take away,
1: absolutely it was. It was an unnecessary headache on top of everything else.
0: It's amazing how quickly you picked it up and, and you're doing it, too.
1: Well, like, I'm sure you guys did this. When you would go out to a restaurant and they would bring you a plate of food and you can't dig in because you're sitting there having to play inspector gadget on how many carbs are and everything on that plate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I I do think but, that if my if my if me looking at a plate was in a movie, you would see like a computer overlay fall over top of it and divide up into spots, and numbers would pop up over top of i you know over piles of food and everything. And
1: oh yeah, you yeah. you would have the matrix going on behind you, and you would have uh you know just like Einstein style equations above your head, and it, it it's no fun. Yeah,
0: I look at it now and I think. Like uh, seven, ten, you know, you count along, and you get to like all right, sixty-three, and and then that one's, you know, the the glycemic load on that's going to be heavy, so you know we're going to need insulin at least in a four hour period. But that stuff's faster, and you start like, I wonder if I could just put some of this up front and the rest after, and you know, it's uh, it happens so quickly now. Like I hate I hate saying it to people almost because I feel like they think that this is like you know, hours of their life spent. But I look at it, I'm like, all right, yeah, 63 carbs, eh, 50% up front, the other 50% over two and a half hours. And I think maybe we're going to have to do, you know, a basal increase, you know, in here somewhere, probably in those last two and three and four hours.
1: Well, and that's the crazy part that I'm still learning is, you know, that, um, you know, fats and proteins and oils and, you know, all this kind of stuff will make it where the, the sugar doesn't di- or the carbs don't digest as quickly in your system, but they will kick in on the back end. Yep. So, you know, a perfect example is there's a restaurant across the street that, you know, when I have a day off, I'll go over there, I'll grab a couple couple margaritas that are made with agave rather than all the sweet stuff, a burger, sweet potato fries, and I go all out. My pre bolus is twelve units. I know that's a pretty hefty pre bolus. And then I also increase my basal rate. To forty five percent for the next three hours,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and for the first thirty minutes, I'm sitting there. I will sit right there at ninety and not budge. Yeah. But then when I'm on my way home, it hits one sixty, and then it hits one seven. I'm like, okay, obviously there's not enough kicking in, and I'll give myself another four to five units.
0: And catch those arrows,
1: right? Yeah, this happened last week. It. Went straight up to two thirty. It flattened out, and then it went straight down. And once it hit one sixty straight down, I just I turned off the basal increase. I turned off insulin delivery. Everything, and it looked like a Boeing jet coming in for landing. And it settled at one hundred one.
0: Look at you! Congratulations! And, Mate, and, and you get that, quick. that was
1: within two hours.
0: That's really amazing. How long have you been at this? When did you start listening to the podcast?
1: Um. December,
0: December, yep. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, nine, nine months, months ago. That's really great, man. Congratulations. Seriously. I've been well done. Congratulations. Uh, I don't know what else to say. That's a, a, a complete life turnaround in nine months.
1: I mean, and it's, even though I can't see like the clarity report, I can't see everything that's on there, mm-hmm. but I can see the little snippet of a graph that you can see on your phone. I just like to see where it can come from and get it to settle down right at the bottom of that gray box without dipping into the red. It, I, I get some sort of enjoyment out of it. Um, and especially sharing that experience with, you know, with other people There's, you know, it's kind of like what you always say is being bold with insulin. It's use it where it works for you. You know, if they say don't double up on insulin, it could be dangerous. Well, being high is dangerous too. It's like you're taking an educated guess. Every three months. So I'm saying they as the doctors. Yeah. You're taking an educated guess every three months and then adjusting it. And then you'll see me again in three months. I'm adjusting it on the fly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I hear you. Um, a couple of questions. So do they not make a meter that talks so that you can hear the number instead of have to see it?
1: I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. Um, since Like I said, since I'm using the Dexcom, um, like I, said, I just pull up in the phone and I can see that number just fine. Um, really, as long as the bubble's gray, I don't freak out. Yeah. I,
0: I what, uh, what kind of uh, cell phone do you have? Is it iPhone or Android? I have an Android. Android, I was going to say, because I think, I think you can ask Siri what your blood sugar is on an iPhone and it'll just tell you.
1: I, I do recall, um, actually it was on your podcast hearing something about that. Right. Yeah. Um, I, just, I wasn't sure. I know through Android, though, there's times where, when this all was first happening, I would have to like use my tablet to take a picture of my phone to see what the glucose reading was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know if it's this way on iPhone, but on the Android phone in the security settings, you cannot screenshot anything within the Dexcom app. In the Android? Yes.
0: No kidding. Because yeah, I do that all the time with iPhone. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, you cannot screenshot the anything within Dexcom because of the privacy policy.
0: No shit. Oh, I almost cursed. No kidding. I'm um, <laughs> I i, I I'm sitting here thinking like, is there not like some giant, like would a magnifying glass help you? Like a big, strong magnifying glass to see like your phone and stuff like that with? Not that I'm sure you haven't thought of these things already, but.
1: It, it definitely would. Um, it, it's almost like the magnifying glasses that jewelers use where it has the lights built into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um just like I said, if there's anything that I can't read from zooming in, I'll just take a screenshot of it. That way I can zoom in on it. Um, like I said, through the Dexcom, if I just screenshot the the notification bar with the reading in on it, yeah, then I can zoom in if, if I absolutely need to. And it's more just finding ways to make your life work without being a complete nuisance to yourself or others.
0: Gotcha. So if you and I met face-to-face and we shook hands – and three days later, we met again at that distance. Would you know it was me, visually?
1: Um, if you didn't say anything, I would walk right by you. Okay. I, I do it at work all the time where, this might sound kind of bad, but I start to figure out the build of the people that I work with. So, are you tall and skinny? Are you short and heavy? Yeah. Um, and at the beginning of the day, I'll make sure I walk right next to everybody and I'll kind of make a mental note of what color shirt everybody's wearing I could depict colors. Hmm. So, but from a distance, everybody's just a person until you're within 20 feet.
0: Dakota, why do you not sound bitter about all this?
1: I think it's an amazing story and if I can inspire people with it, that's my main goal. Yeah.
0: Do you have private moments where you're just like, I can't believe this happened?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, looking back on it, it's, I cannot blame anybody else. It's 100% my fault for my neglect. And I was raised with one of those where, you, you know, you have to be responsible for your decisions and your actions. Yeah. And this was a decision that I made my whole life. And luckily I caught it at the point where I'm not completely blind. You know, it didn't kill me. I have all my hands and feet, or both my hands and feet. Hmm. You know, it could have been so much worse.
0: That's an amazing attitude to have.
1: Um, really but there's happens. definitely times where, you know, um, like I said, I used to work on cars and motorcycles and stuff all the time. You know how hard it is to work on an engine when you can't see it? Yeah, I imagine it's not easy. It, it's actually easier than you think because you can't see it anyways, but... Oh, really? You're, you're still doing <laughs> well, that your, kind of work? Your hand's always up underneath something, trying to unscrew a bolt that you've already loosened. Nine times out of ten, you can't see it. And since I do so many things through feel now, uh, you know, I... I, I live a quarter mile away from where I work, Okay. and the only thing that separates my house from where I work is an alleyway. So just to take the pressure off my fiance, I went ahead and bought a cheap little beater just to get me to and from work. But I knew at night I had to light up the road in front of me like it was daytime. So I ran complete wire harnesses underneath the floorboards through the engine compartment and put light bars across the bottom of this thing so I can see to get from work at night. And surprisingly, it was probably the easiest wiring job I've ever done because I knew how to see the tips of my fingers better.
0: We have a few more minutes left and I want to ask you, has uh, other parts of the world opened up to you? Like, do you find yourself listening to more like radio or music or like, how does like your downtime change
1: when your vision is affected? When all of this first happened. It was, I was trying to find anything on YouTube that I could just ask my phone to play. Because when this all started, I couldn't even read text messages. So I had to ask my phone, you know, hey, Google, read text message. And it would read it to me, and I would have to talk back to it to send the text message. And that was the only way I could keep in contact with anybody. Um, I ended up watching a lot of um, market, or listening to a lot of marketing, like tutorials on YouTube. Um Comedy station on Pandora was my go-to. And I was trying to find a a diabetes podcast to start listening to. And I I ended up finding one. It was a diabetes management, um, a couple guys based out of San Francisco. And it it was more just on Whole Foods diets rather than kind of like yours, where you're actually interviewing people who have these experiences. Um, So a lot of a lot more podcasts, a lot of comedy. Stuff that could keep me in good spirits and laughing. Um, at home, I'll listen to the news instead of watch the news. I'll you know, put on your podcast. I'm still on episode 240, so I have some catching up to do. Um, it, it is a lot more audio-based than visual-based. Uh, our TV in our living room is quite large, so my spot on the couch, I can actually see what's going on. I can't see the fine details in, in film. But I can kind of get the point of what's going on.
0: Gotcha. How um, how has your relationship been through all this? Is uh, it, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, it, what's the what's uh, the biggest change? I guess.
1: Well, we actually we have a long history. We were next door neighbors growing up, mm-hmm. so it's not like we didn't know who we were. It's just, I played baseball and she, and raced motorcycles. She acted and did theater. So we were complete opposites, even though we live next door to each other. Yeah. And when we reconnected, it was actually the day before my vision was lost. So our entire relationship, she only knows me as being visually deficient. Okay. Wow. So that's, it's kind of like we're able to grow through this together.
0: That's really, that's sweet. Yeah. It, that's uh, a fortuitous uh, situation. And, and, uh, Especially at the beginning of a relationship, you know. I mean, I've seen people on a second date, you know, say they like a certain movie, and somebody will stop going out with them. I've never, oh, yeah. I don't, I've never heard a story where on my second date I had to tell somebody, hey, I've I've lost a majority of my vision. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's really something. Well, the
1: thing about. is, we we hadn't even gone on a date, and to top it off, we lived in separate cities at this time. She was in L.A., I was in San Diego.
2: Hmm.
1: No kidding. So it was it was more. I just threw it out there. Hey. When I come to a wedding in October, he said, "Yeah, we kept talking, and then suddenly I'm driving home and realize something's not right."
0: I want to end on that. Um, when, when something's not right, is it a light switch at that point? Does somebody it is it just go off, or does it dwindle down to nothing over hours or days, or like, how does it go from everything I see everything okay to I don't?
1: So with a diabetic hemorrhage, at least in my case, it was, it looked like a very streaky black waterfall in your field of vision. Okay. So it, it just looks like there's constant like rain or streaks coming down within your vision. And it's actually blood that's blocking the light from reaching your op- optic nerve. I see. Uh, and that- I, I know that- we, did, we didn't touch on, on this aspect of it. But leading up to that, um, I was taking a different job. I had to get very physically fit for this job. Mm. So I was pushing myself extremely hard at the gym. And, you know, more weight than I probably should have been trying to trying to push. And on a leg press machine, my vision kept flashing crazy. I thought I was just getting a really good workout in. It turns out that it was like the beginning stages of these blood cells being overstressed, starting to burst.
2: Gotcha.
0: How long was that before you started seeing the black waterfall
1: about about a month oh.
0: all right uh listen tell me about uh, what's your web address and and how can people find you
1: so through my the website or through Instagram um, it is type one motorsports dot com and it is the number one
0: type the number one motorsportscom and then what are you on Instagram what's your handle on Instagram
1: it is the same thing. Type the number one motorsports. All right. Um, Dakota, I
0: really appreciate you coming on and telling this story. It's not, um, it's not something we get to hear that often. I really do appreciate it. there's, um, you know, other people who have come on and told uh, similar stories, but I think they're all really impactful and important. Um, I appreciate, I always tell people, I'm you know, how happy and, uh, I am that they were so open and honest, but this is really, uh, this really takes the cake, I think for open and honest. So, um, I, I really do appreciate
1: this. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, absolutely. Thank you for having me on.
0: How about Dakota, everybody? And how about Dexcom and Omnipod for bringing you the show? Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Those links are available in the podcast player you're listening to right now on your phone, right in the notes, or at juiceboxpodcast.com if you can't remember them. But if you do remember them and you use my link that'll tell the companies that you came from the podcast. I will very much appreciate that and you will still get the same great technology one way or the other. Before we go, I'm looking for someone to do an after dark episode with. Now, this is a specific ask. Be honest with yourself before you email me. I need someone who's divorced and parenting a child with type 1 diabetes who will be completely honest about how to work through significant problems when one parent either has a certain management idea while the other one has another Or while one parent is doing a lot of the work, while the other one seems to be ignoring it. This is something that comes up a lot. But of course, it's difficult to get somebody that wants to speak about it. So what I'd like to say is you'll come on and be anonymous. But still, you have to really think about this. Make sure you're not going to get outed somehow. If you think you can tell that story, be honest and not vindictive. Something that's going
2: to really help other people who are divorced and you won't get caught, drop me a line.